Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. When you wake up in the morning and check your phone, does it feel like this or like this? Because with Shopify, your morning can feel like this way more often. That's the sound of a sale being made on your new Shopify store. And while client payments may require weeks or months of work, you can start generating a semi-passive income to grow your business by setting up a Shopify store all of your own. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your latest designs on shirts or bags or adding something totally different to your business, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. You can sell online, you can sell in person, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. With Shopify, you can set up your store in minutes and start selling immediately. And Shopify's award-winning support is there to help you as you go. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash freelance. That's all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash freelance to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash freelance or click the link in our show description and start waking up to this. I'm Brandon Hull, and it's Freelance to Founder. Yeah, so today Trainual is an online software with um, about 1,200 customers around the world in 75 different countries. Um, so that's 1,200 companies, sorry, tens of thousands of users. Um, we have a team of 15, and we're coming up on 2 million in annual revenue. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs from all walks of life. They've built agencies, consultancies, products, software, software as a service. They've launched and grown blogs, online courses, turned podcasts into prolific businesses, all of these things. They've typically started as side projects or freelance pursuits that took on a whole new life and scaled far beyond the founder's expectations and definitely bigger than themselves. Today, you'll hear the story of Chris Ronzio, founder of Trainual. I have to tell you, I love this interview. For the third straight week, we're talking to someone who was at the 15-month mark when we interviewed them. And as you heard in that quick snippet, in this case, he's built his business to the $2 million level in annual revenue that quickly. It's nuts. But when you learn about his why and his how, it feels much more doable and understandable for anyone. Chris got his start owning a video production business that he started back when he was in his mid-teens. He later ran a consulting business that required him to stay on top of processes with his clients as he helped them solve their business problems. And here's where you find his first really smart decision. He built that software from the get-go as a service that could eventually be kicked out on its own as a platform that he could sell to others as a subscription. But in this episode, you'll hear the lessons that have stuck with him from his parents. You'll hear how his then-girlfriend's ultimatum for a better relationship led to him pivoting. And you'll hear how an Arabian horse farm was instrumental in Trainual becoming what it is today. Yes, an Arabian horse farm. You'll get that fun part somewhere around the 35-minute mark. So without further ado, let me bring you my interview with Chris Ronzio, founder of Trainual. Thank you. Excited to be here. Great to have you on. And, and there's a ton of areas that we're going to cover in your background and uh, with um, the business Trainual that we just mentioned that um, you've started up and been running for a little bit now. But uh, I want our audience to have a chance to get to know you personally as well. And I want to know why Trainual, why you felt like Trainual ultimately needed to exist. But can you start by telling us where the business is today? Yeah, so today Trainual is an online software with um, about 1,200 customers around the world in 75 different countries. Um, that's 1,200 companies, sorry, tens of thousands of users. Um, we have a team of 15 and we're coming up on 2 million in annual revenue. That's incredible. After how many years have you been in business now? 
officially 15 months. <laughs> 15 months in business and 2 million in annual revenue. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. When, when, you, when you had the idea that Trainual needed to exist, did it occur to you that you could be where you are this quickly? No, absolutely not. When Trainual started, it was a side project. It was just a little thing that I was hoping would make my car payment. And, and then I was hoping it would make my mortgage payment. And, and as it grew, I, my vision for the product kept expanding, but I couldn't envision it would be where it is today. <laughs> Why is that? So I, I, I know that you're a guy who believes in the importance of uh, entrepreneurs, businesses, maybe even freelancers having like an efficient process to how they do things. But uh, so clearly, you know, what kind of pain freelancers feel or entrepreneurs, small business owners feel. But what was it in you that felt like this needed to exist as like a software tool as opposed to a process that you would teach people to follow? Well, when I was consulting and working one on one with companies and it was just me, a solo consultant, I was researching tools all the time. And so software tools, I think, are amazing because if you can cobble together a dozen tools for your business that makes you uh, five times more efficient, then it's the equivalent of having five employees, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But now you're doing it with just some software that costs you a couple hundred dollars. And so I used to cobble together these solutions for people. And, and it made me really good at understanding technology and, and seeing how tools could benefit people. And this solution that Trainual solves this, you know, documentation of of how to do what you do in your business and how to divide your roles and responsibilities felt like a big gap to me. A lot of people just use documents. They use Dropbox folders and Word docs and Google docs. And that to me wasn't training. So I thought there was a, a gap and opportunity. And that's that's where the product came from. So it seems like Trainual is one part onboarding tool but also one part um, ongoing process documentation tool. Is that safe to say? Yeah, it's, you know, we tell people everyone wants their teams to get up to speed quickly and stay up to date. And so there's the onboarding, which is getting them up to speed. You know, how quickly can you learn what your job is and how to do what you do and what the best practices are? But then as the company evolves, how do you keep everyone updated? And so Trainual is a hybrid of those two things. Got it, got it. Okay. So where did this all start? You. You weren't a software developer by trade. <laughs> no, <laughs> you weren't a business productivity consultant necessarily uh, throughout your career. Take me back to the younger years. What was the young Chris like? Where do do we should we see this? Were you particularly anal retentive as a kid, <laughs> or was there uh, something early on? <laughs> that no, we should have seen this coming. No, I was always OCD with, you know, organizing my Ninja Turtles by size and like which ones came from which packages. And and I was always entrepreneurial. So I always had the the little businesses, whether it was just door to door sales or, you know, a landscaping company or a car wash company or a house cleaning company. I was always creating business cards. I have this thing at my house that's just, you know, dozens of business cards that I cut out as a little kid. So um, that was my thing. I love doing that. And so through the years, I had, you know, little kid businesses until I finally created one I paid taxes on, which was a video production company. So started that in high school. And that was really where I learned about business. That was where I had my first employees, my first office, my first contracts. And, and so that was really my education in business. What told you, though, that you could even at a young age start a business? What told who who who, who permitted that? <laughs> well, my, Where did my parents permitted it. You know, I think it, it came from just a combination of I, you know, I had an uncle that had a stained glass shop in Manhattan. And I remember walking into his business and just starry eyed seeing, you know, he's he actually owns this building that people are coming to to work day in and day out. And then um, years later, my parents each tried starting their own companies. My dad had a little deli and a food brokerage. My mom had a skincare business. And and so, uh, you know, so it, it was it was an enterprising entrepreneurial kind of family, not huge success stories. But um, my 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 family definitely had that the hustle, the grind. Yeah. Was it was it just sort of a a modest business that made ends meet and provided for the family? And were you just fascinated with the fact that they had started something from scratch and that just stuck with you? Or was it was it something else about owning a business that fascinated you? 
Well, you know, I always wanted to work. I, I, I understood the value of money because I wanted to buy myself toys and Ninja Turtles and, you know, action figures and, and things like that. And then when I got a little older, I wanted to buy myself CDs. And, and so it was always, how do I make $10 or how do I make $20? And so I, I thought of, you know, it, it wasn't small business or entrepreneurship. It was just, how do I, how do I be smart about doing some service for someone else that they'll give me the $10 so then I can go exchange that money for what I want. And uh, I didn't realize it was really business that early on. It was just creating value and getting the stuff I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) It was a means to an end, really. It sounds like like you could do two things. You could kind of be in control of the services you provided, the tasks you did, or the things that you did for people. And the fact that you made money from it was sort of a it was like a win-win type of thing. Yeah. And I think my parents always told me, you know, when I wanted things, they said, well, you can save up and get it, but I never had an allowance. And so it was always like I had to make up ways to make money. You know, I remember saying to my dad, I wanted Air Jordans and and everyone at school has Air Jordans. And he took me around the block and said, you know, does everyone in the class actually have these? And I said, well, no. And he said, do you think 50% of the kids have Air Jordans? And I said, no. And he said, well, I don't want you to be in the minority. So if everyone has something, I'll get it for you. But if not, everyone has it, or if not 50%, you're going to have to save up and buy it yourself. And so it was that, that mentality that I was just always trying to come up with how to make money. I think it's a little interesting that you remember that story so poignantly <laughs> from your younger years. So many lessons your parents taught you probably that just, you know, went in one ear and out the ear, but th- the other ear, but that one stuck with you. <laughs> a um, few of them stuck. And actually, you know, my, my, this is funny, but you mentioned business productivity and efficiency. And I remember my mom used to stop me. I'd walk halfway up the stairs and there would be something at the bottom of the stairs that needed to be carried up. And, and if I didn't carry everything from the bottom of the stairs all the way up in one shot, then she taught me that's what efficiency was, was trying to do as much as you could with as little movement or time as possible. And that's always stuck with me too, which is such a, a random story, but but uh, it lasts. <laughs> so, well, give me another one. This is these are an interesting ones. This so you've got a mom who's teaching you to to accomplish tasks one time to touch something one time, which I know is a key principle of uh, of productivity. What's another one? My dad, there's two things he used to always say, do it now and finish. And so do it now was, you know, anytime he asked me to put my shoes out in the garage or or something and I'd say, oh, I'll do it as soon as I finish this, you know, my homework or I'll do it after dinner. He'd say, no, do it now, because if you don't do it now, you'll forget. And so that one made me compulsive about just doing things and maybe almost too much, too reactive. I've had to fight back against that, but that was instilled in me at a young age. And then the, the idea of finishing something that you start, it was also something he always harped on was, um, you know, because I would start a lot of things as a kid, I take out a lot of toys and I just leave them everywhere. And he'd say, let's finish one thing before we move on to the next thing. And, and that stuck with me too. Well, that's good. It's not, not only did it sound like it stuck with you, but you, you owned it, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a lot of th- lessons that many kids, including my own, have heard through the years and whether the lesson sticks with them uh, is another thing that they, they hopefully <laughs> yeah and now i've got two kids of my own so i'm very very thoughtful about what i'm saying to them and hopefully those lessons stick what are the little uh chris ronzio catchphrases that they're going to be quoting down the uh down the road oh my gosh i'll have to ask them i don't know yet it's it's hard to see when i'm in the moment i'm just saying all the things my parents used to say I'm catching myself so you've, you've actually already started to tell me a little bit about some of your early uh, jobs growing up, and they weren't so much jobs as they were you hustling to make a buck, it sounds like. Um, but you, you go on to, uh, to college, I think Bentley uh, University. Yep. And what'd you study there? Business management. So at the time I had my video production company, when I was thinking about going to college, I had to pick whether I was going to go the production, the media route or the business route. And so I started the video company with a co-founder. He was a few years older than me. He was the technical one that did all the camera work and he ended up going to a film school. And so because of that, I ended up being the, the business guy that was doing the contracts and answering the customer service emails and making the proposals. And I thought business school is the right path. So it was a, a good choice. I'm glad I did it. When, had, when did you start that company up? Uh, I, I believe it was in your teens. Yeah, I remember four, correctly, four, right? 14, 15 years old. Okay, so you're 14 or 15 years old. You start up your first company as a video production business and you run it for the next 10 years. And when some people maybe are thinking about starting up their own business as 24 or 25 year olds, you are selling your first <laughs> company. <laughs> yeah. Talk, talk to me about 
not just the selling process, but as a 22, 23 year old who's been running this for eight years and is now starting to look ahead to the rest of their, their life, you are, you're ready to sell it. But obviously that takes a little bit of time, I assume. So maybe it, it lasted the next couple of years. I don't want to assume too much, but tell me about that process where you started to look beyond the video production company to a day when you would have passed it on to someone else, sold it to someone else. Well, it was constantly evolving. So, you know, in the early days, it was just me and my partner and a couple friends that were showing up and doing any kind of production we can do. And then a couple years into it, we honed in on events being the thing that we did. Because if, you know, if we were doing commercials and corporate videos and weddings and bar mitzvahs and anniversary parties, you know, it's one client at a time and you're paying the bills, but it's, there's no repeatability to it. So events for us was, you know, as soon as I could book a, a organization, I could do events every month or every quarter or every year at least. And then we were just adding organizations and building this, this book of business. So that was the first thing was shifting into events. And then I bought my partner out. That was a interesting uh, phase of the business. He was going more in the technical direction, ended up working for NBC. And so that was uh, my first kind of legal contract uh, <laughs> lesson going through that process. Um, and then when I was in college, it was I couldn't go to the productions anymore because I had classes. So I had to find people on Craigslist and get them up to speed on on what we wanted done. And uh, and that was an education, just trying to transfer that knowledge to someone else and build systems that other people could follow. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years and, and jump in anytime if you want to dig more into this. But fast forward a couple of years, I was finishing school. We set up an office on the North Shore of Boston where I grew up. And I had four employees at the time, but I was working like crazy. I was going to all these events, I was traveling up and down the East Coast, and my girlfriend was sick of it. <laughs> and so she told me, uh, you know, she's she grew up in Massachusetts as well, and she said, "I'm moving. I'm going somewhere where there's there's warm, where it's warm and sunny, and you can come or don't come." And so that was a, a pretty big conflict where, you know, I thought I've got this office, this is everything I've worked through, you know, high school and college, and I've got a small team. But ultimately, I decided to follow her and we went to Arizona. So we moved out here to Arizona where I live now. And it was the best thing I ever did for the business because I moved 2,300 miles away from the office and let the business run by itself while I just focused on the, the systems and the, the, the ways to really scale the company. It sounds like she was tired of the business. She was tired of me being more married to the business than her. You know, she we had a lot of, of your role, <laughs> the way you were running the business. Yeah, let's put it that yeah, way, right? exactly. And so, uh, yeah, what, it, go ahead. What do you think would have happened? Like, what, what if you had not followed her? If you had to go back in time and imagine what the path would have been, what do you think would have happened? You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. 
Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. Man, it's hard to say because so many of the decisions, you know, where we where we got our office and and, you know, the team that we hired, you know, I was making remotely. And and if I was there, I probably would have gotten an office that was close to where I lived and I would have, you know, hired people that were close to where I lived instead of sourcing them from the universities that were right around Boston. And and I would have maybe, you know, hired different people, I probably wouldn't have gotten out of the office as quickly as I did. You know, it's easy to get stuck in the business because when you're the easiest option, you don't really value your time. You, you think um, you doing any job is a better use, you know, you're saving money as opposed to hiring someone to do even the, the jobs that cost the, the, the least. And so it's, it's hard to resist jumping into the business if you physically can't, <laughs> unless you physically take yourself out of it. So, so I think it was just all part of the story. And I'm very fortunate that my wife dragged me across the country. <laughs> so ultimately, you buy out your partner, as you mentioned. You, you, you arrive at the conclusion, even though you're running it from Phoenix, that you're done with EVZ. Yeah. You're done with the business itself. Yeah. Uh, was that a tough decision to make? It was really tough because it was my identity. You know, I had done it for so long and I was known as the video guy and my, you know, m- my whole family knew I was the video production person and family events. I would always bring the cool camera and, you know, so, so that was just who I identified as. Uh, when I decided I wanted to sell, it was, you know, it was just a series of events of, you know, a couple crews fell through that we had booked for events. And I was, I found myself driving to LA overnight, one night and renting equipment the minute they opened and getting to the event late. And we had a problem with the customer. And I was like, is this really what I want to do with my life? You know? And, and for so long I had been the, the, you know, the envy of my friends when I was running my own business. But now a few years out of college, my friends were all, you know, had great jobs and benefits. And I'm like, man, this is hard. (laughs) What am I doing? I either need to, to change things up or, or, you know, something's got to change. And then there was always, there was also the, the technology, you know, the iPhone in 2010 came out with shooting HD video. And there was, you know, the wave of people that were getting smartphones to shoot video at events that didn't necessarily need to buy copies. So all of this, we were trying to adapt to the market. The first thing I did was created a, a website that was a built to be a platform for videographers around the country to upload and share and sell their own footage. So we tried first to be the, the distribution company. And that was that was what I thought was the future. And then when I met some resistance there and the, the, you know, none of the production companies I was competing against wanted to give me their footage, um, I, I went to my, my operations director at the time and said, um, how would you like to run this company? And so we went through a process of training him to be the president of the company. And that was my, my next step in getting out of the business is he uh, got trained to be the president of the company. And at that time, we had 12 employees. We had uh, about 300 camera operators around the country, contractors and two offices. And, and it, it was, um, you know, it was a lot to hand that off to him. But it was like peeling, peeling the business away from me in stages where, you know, first I didn't even work there. I wasn't at the office and then I wasn't the president anymore. And then I took myself off payroll. And by the time I sold it, I felt so detached from the company that it was, it was just really a, um, a smart move. Well, you did a good job. It sounds like of unwinding that notion of the company being your persona too. It sounds like you just slowly extricated yourself yeah. from it so that you could be, you know, you could emotionally maybe even slowly separate the two entities yourself personally right, right. and then the company as well. Huh? Right. Yeah. It's hard. It would be hard to do it all at once, but it was done in phases. And that was really where the, the seed was planted for how important training and documentation was because in each of those phases, that was such a core part to me getting out of my role. The wheels were turning then it sounds like. Yeah. So you sell EVC. Tell us where you went next. So 
Next, I started a consulting firm. So at the time with EVC, I was part of an entrepreneurship organization and I was in mastermind groups and meeting other business owners. And the one thing that everybody uh, was, was impressed by was that I had had this network of videographers and a couple offices around the country um, and none of them were in Arizona. So I was here alone in Arizona and kind of running this business remotely. And at the time, I think that was a little rarer than it is now. This was, you know, 10 years ago. And the, uh, there was an appeal to, you know, how do, how do we use technology to simplify our businesses? So when I got out of my video company, that was the natural next step was uh, these other business owners that I had met wanted me to come in and be a, like a part-time COO or, uh, you know, an operations person. So I put my operations hat on and focused on the systems and processes of all these other businesses. And that was tremendous experience because I saw the the problems I was fixing in my video company were very similar to the ones I fixed at all these other businesses in every different industry. But what's interesting to me here is that you are consulting businesses on the best way to run their operations with your personal experience base being um, your own business that you own since you're 14 years old. Certainly not experience in the corporate world. Although I did notice that you had been an intern uh, at one point in time with the uh, New England Patriots quality control intern or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of funny, actually. So so uh, there was a career fair or something at my university and the Patriots had a table set up. So, of course, that was the cool table to go to. And, uh, and so I got to be a quality control intern for, for a season, which was, you know, it's, it was, it was a paid job and it was only on game days. So it was just like, I got to go to the games for free. It wasn't really a, it wasn't really a job, but you know, I'd show up early. They would give me a list of, of, uh, you know, the, the secret shopping kind of stuff I'd have to do. Like, you know, ask this security guard, where's the nearest ATM and write down what they say, or, you know, time, how long it takes you to park and get to this section in the stadium or, you know, buy a hot dog at this concession stand and make sure it's hot. (laughs) You know, those are, those are the things I was testing. So you know, I got to go to a free games and they'd give me a, a wad of cash at the beginning of the game for all the stuff they wanted me to buy. And then at the, uh, the end of the game, I'd go underneath the the fields and type in all my answers. And, and so it was a pretty fun gig. That's pretty funny. All right. So you're you're now a uh, uh, highfalutin, you know, stuffy business consultant after you've sold your business uh, <laughs> and you're advising all of these uh, 40 and 50 and 60 somethings on how they should properly uh, streamline their business to be more efficient. <laughs> and and the wheels start turning to do other things beyond this because clearly we're not talking to you about your consulting work today. So talk to me about what what were the ideas that were percolating at those periods of time that that started to lead to train you all. Well, there were so many individual ideas, you know, because I was working in industries I had never experienced. I was jumping from you know, a construction company to a medical device sales company to a insurance firm to a retail store to, a, you know, the marketing agency. And and as I was experiencing all the uh, all these different industries, I'd have ideas for things that existed in one industry, but that didn't exist in their industry. And, oh, we could create this tool that's that just disrupts your whole industry. But I was never passionate about any of the individual industries. So I knew if I was going to create something, it would be something that would be more of a wide appeal. So uh, as I worked with those businesses, the, the one thing I saw is that as we overhauled their operations, the handoff for me to get out of a job was always to train their employees on here's the new workflow or to write up standard operating procedures on here's, here's the new system, here's how we do things. And so time and time again, I was either doing these training sessions or I was typing up manuals or I was trying to put some sense to what their roles and responsibilities were through spreadsheets. And, and I saw that as a common problem between all businesses. And, uh, and so, so that was, that was kind of where I saw the need for Trainual. How, how does one though start to build an online system that could be customizable to speak to those tasks when it needs to be general enough to apply to multiple industries. Because, you know, a lot of industries feel like, well, mine is different. 
mine is mine processes are very specific because they're regulatory in nature or because they're this in nature it seems like everybody thinks their their roles are different their companies are different from all of the norm how do you get past that and build a tool that can accommodate all of the different types of disciplines or uh, industries out there the different types of jobs in, in those industries well, there's certain tools that should be industry specific. You know, a, a landscaping company needs to use a field service management software to manage all of their, their crews. And a manufacturing company needs to use a inventory solution. But, you know, so there are, there are specific industry solutions, but then there are non-industry specific solutions like, you know, everyone can use the same payroll company or everyone can use the same uh, file management company, you know, Dropbox or OneDrive or something like that. And everyone could use the same email platform. And so I thought that building a, in building my own business, I wanted something that had a broader appeal. And so documentation and delegation and productivity and and best practices and SOPs and, you know, that that was what I wanted to bundle together. You know, I'd, I'd read these books, Scaling Up and the E-Myth and Traction and, and go to the conferences and, and everyone wants a turnkey business. They want something that could run without them. They want something that whether they want to sell it or not, they could sell it because somebody else could run it. And if they have turnover, they want a business that is easy to find and replace people. And so, you know, the, the way that you do that is by making the instruction manual for your business. And the best solution for making an instruction manual for your business for years has been like a three ring binder uh, <laughs> of Word docs or something, you know. And so I saw that and thought, man, there's this is so antiquated. There's got to be a better way to do this. And uh, larger companies have figured it out. You know, much, much larger companies or franchise organizations, they have their tools, but small businesses don't. And so I wanted to create the small business solution for that problem. Did you feel like the, some of the, you mentioned construction companies and, and uh, while there's a, no shortage of software as a service solutions for the construction industry now and software solutions, installed uh, software solutions, um, did you feel like one of your challenges as you were building these solutions while consulting them was that their adoption may not be up to par with what you have in mind for for building a software-oriented solution. In other words, did you feel like um, you were a little bit ahead of the curve for the industries that you were working with and the type of people you were working with to help streamline things? Early on, perhaps. When I first built it and it was part of my consulting firm, um, I think so. And then I think I saw that the tide's changing a little bit. And so now it feels like everyone is going online for, for all these types of tools and we're, we're in a better space for it. And so, so now I think we've got more adopters than, than we would have, you know, five or 10 years ago. Yep. So we should clarify, Trainual started off as a tool that you began using to help document processes and so forth for the clients that you serve. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, the, the gears are turning in your head that this could be a standalone solution that's offered to people as a subscription or something like that. Safe to say? Yeah. So when I, when I first released it, it was just to my clients. But uh, I, I set it up as a subscription product from the beginning because I thought after people are done paying the consulting fees, it might be nice to have a $50 a month thing or something that continues. <laughs> and so, And that's all it was. And so, you know, at, at the beginning, it was just, you know, can I get enough companies on here to, to cover my car payments? And then can I get enough companies on here to, to pay for the mortgage and, and maybe take my wife on vacation once a year? And, and this is just a cool side residual income. And uh, I never really thought it would become the business that it is. Yeah. You, but I, I have to imagine there's at some point in time when you were coming up with the idea for it, you were thinking, listen, I'm not a developer. I can't build this thing. I just have the idea for it. H- how did you conquer that? I have a feeling a lot of people feel like, oh, there should be a software solution for this or this. And they're not developers. They're just the idea people. They're the people yeah. that see the problem that needs to be solved. How did you get past that? So I was lucky. I had a head start. You know, and one of my consulting clients was this Arabian horse farm. I told you I was in so many different industries. So they were this Arabian horse farm and they had built this website that was kind of like a Yelp for the uh, the the equine world. 
And so you could look up, you know, as a directory to look up events and to look up veterinarians and to look up, uh, you know, equipment and stables and all that. And so they had a team of developers that worked on this project. And for um, close to a year, I helped guide that product development as just uh, from an efficiency, productivity, business standpoint. And that was my first introduction into software. And to me, it was like magic. You know, I would come up with an idea and I'd send it over the developers and a day later or two days later, it would exist online on this website. And, you know, I had no idea that you could do that, but it felt like absolute magic that from this little box I could put ideas into and then, and then it would exist. And so when I, I, uh, I started with Trainual, it was actually a, a an interesting startup story. I was mentoring at a local university and I met a few kids that as part of their senior entrepreneurship project, they had built this HR tool for onboarding employees. And they they demoed this tool and so I got to see it and and I gave them some feedback and that was it. And then months later, I had a client that was dealing with an onboarding problem. So I reached out to these kids and said, hey, do you still have that tool? Can I, can I license it or be a customer or, or maybe be a partner of yours? And they said, well, it was just a project. We never got any customers and we're shutting it down and we're all moving to San Francisco and getting jobs. And so I was like, well can I have it? <laughs> and they said, no, you can't have it, but you could buy it from us if you want. And, and it was kind of in shambles. You know, it didn't actually work right. It was a student project, but it had the bones of, of a, an, you know, a web app. And so I bought this thing and then I hired the developers that had worked on that, that uh, equestrian project who I had known and worked with over the last couple of years. And I asked them to plug all the holes. And so I, I swept through this tool and I thought, what would this look like if it was a small business onboarding and training product? And if I wanted all the knowledge from my business to exist in here, what else would we need? And so we added things like search and we added things like roles and positions in the company and and a user profile so you could track people's progress and and all the things that exist today. And and after we did that, I launched it to my existing clients. And and so for for a brief window there, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a software mogul. This thing's going to be huge, you know. <laughs> and so so I had seen, you know, all the the unicorn, you know, Instagrams and things take off. And I was like, yep, I'm the next Instagram. Let's do this. And so I sent an email out to my my list of all my consulting clients and I got six people to sign up for the tool and to pay what at the time I was offering was a, a lifetime license. So for a thousand dollars, you could sign up and have lifetime access to my my tool. So I got those six in and a handful of others the next month. And I'm, I'm looking at like, you know, $85 in recurring revenue. <laughs> and, and so it definitely wasn't the success story I hoped it would be. But but that's why it kind of went back on the shelf and became a side side project of uh, of my consulting firm. And what were you so you, you were doing the consulting work during the day and this was just something you kind of work with those developers on the side at night supporting obviously those first people that paid for their lifetime access yeah. to it. Yeah. So, I mean, um, fortunately the tool worked it, it, you know, so, so we didn't have a lot of bugs and because there was not a lot of people on it, there weren't too many feature requests. And really over the next couple of years, we only opened it up and, and added a couple of things, um, you know, maybe once or twice a year. So it was very infrequent that we were even touching this. But um, but I did put up a website and over three years, I did have a couple dozen strangers sign up, which I always thought was intriguing, but you know, never, ne- never enough of a reason to focus on it. So two or three years have gone by and Trainual, uh, did it go by the name Trainual in the earliest yep, days? Yeah, it did. So Trainual exists in the wild. You've got uh, a few dozen um, paying customers. But you're not really doing a whole lot with it because you've got a steady day job. <laughs> you've got uh, you've got another role uh, that we haven't even touched on yet um, that we talked about before the con- conversation recorded, and and um, your time during the day is clearly thoroughly occupied. Yeah. At what point did you realize I need to double down on this, or may- did you have a crossroads where you felt like ah, maybe I just need to shut it down? Was was there some moment where you felt like I got to go this route or this route? Well, I never wanted to shut it down, but I did want to sell it, you know, so I had gone through selling off my video company and I thought as it built up that this is this is a pretty cool asset. It's recurring revenue. 
uh, you know, over those three years, it, it got up to about $1,800 a month in recurring revenue. And so it was still nothing compared to the size of my consulting business. But it was as far as personal income, it was just a nice side income. And and I thought, all right, if I can sell this for a, an annual multiple, maybe I can make, you know, 40, 50 grand and, and flip this around and it'll be just a cool win. And, and that's it. Um you know, it's it's funny. So we talked before. I was involved in the early days of Design Pickle, which is another service. I think Russ has been on your your show before. And uh, back in 2017, I was actually lobbying hard to sell Russ uh, Trainual to sell the the you know to put it under the Design Pickle umbrella. And he challenged me, and he said, "Do you want to be a consultant forever, or do you want to be a, a CEO? You know, do you want to do you want to just be a consultant, or do you want to be a CEO?" And I said, "Well, I want to be a CEO of a big consulting firm." And he's like, "He's like, well, is your is your consulting firm growing to the point that you're feeling like a CEO, or are you still consulting?" And I was like, "All right, good point." So, so he pushed me, and and a few things happened. So, with the consulting business, we were building it like a portfolio company where we would have consulting clients, but then we would also have these spin-off projects that we took equity stakes in. And I, my, my dream has always been to have this amazing team of all-stars that could just swipe in, sweep into any business and, and, you know, turn it around and make it awesome. And so we were starting to do that little by little and taking equity chunks in businesses we worked on. And in the fall of 2017, some of those equity projects were starting to do really well. And so we found ourselves with extra capacity that we could either go out and get more clients or we could look inward and maybe build a product of our own. And so Trainual was this product that had been, you know, on the books for a few years, but wasn't really doing much. And we thought, well, let's, let's try it. Let's put a couple months of time into it. We'll rebuild it and we'll see what we can do with it. So that was, that was the, you know, the decision. But then as we got more into building it, I got more passionate about the problem we were solving. And the aha moment for me was when I realized that all the expertise on systems and processes that we were consulting on, instead of charging for our time consulting, we could flip that into marketing content and give it away for free. And we could help infinitely more people. And then we could convert people that were ready to do something about it into our product, which was Trainual. So I saw Trainual as solving the same problem as our consulting, just with a different vehicle. And that was when we decided no more consulting. We stopped it cold turkey. So what year was this, by the way? 2017. So just a couple years ago, um, you made the decision basically to stop selling your expertise, give that expertise away, but sell instead the tool to enable other people to document their own expertise so that it could be, I guess you could say, uh, a part of their culture or part of their onboarding process for new employees and that sort of thing. Did you feel like that was a risk though? Did you feel like that was a, like the consulting work, the consulting business was successful and it was your, it was your, um, your cash cow. So did you feel like that pivot was a risk? Like it, it, you really were, it could go 50 50. You could go either way. Yeah, it was a huge risk. I think when you have nothing, it's easier to take a risk and start something. But, you know, we had six employees. It was a seven figure consulting business. Like life was pretty good. I had a good salary, I, you know, but I had my second child on the way. And I knew that I didn't want to be selling my time forever. And so we were trying to, license our consulting process to some other consultants around the country and and ironically using trainual to train those consultants <laughs> and and so when i looked at the product and and saw the validation from the companies that had been using it for a few years I thought this this is really scalable and I haven't given this thing enough credit. So we we made the decision and, and decided, you know, I can always go back to consulting. If this doesn't work out, if we take this for a year and it doesn't work out, then we can always go back to consulting. But let's let's give it a fair try. Let's not do this on the side. Let's do this as our main thing. So we turned down all the consulting work and we went at the software f uh, full force, which was uh, definitely a risky move. So what were those first few months like? Tell me about what did you do to <laughs> turn things into gear, you know, to kick things into gear and start winning software clients as opposed to consulting clients? You know, it's crazy. It was so much harder to sell Trainual subscriptions 
than it was to sell consulting work. And that blew me away because I thought, you know, I was selling $10,000, $15,000 consulting gigs and, you know, flying into a company for a day or two and they're paying those bills no problem. And so I thought, well, if I'm selling a $49 or $99 a month subscription, like that's something a million people will sign off on, no problem. But it was harder to sell those subscriptions because what happened is the consulting work would would be sold to the business owner or something. And it's like they're writing a check to solve a problem and they know that you're coming in to solve that problem. But with the software system, it's just a tool that you're selling them. And so the decision maker a lot of times is not the owner of the business. It's the person that's going to be using the tool and they see that as more work. And they don't want to change the you know the tool they're already using or, or whatever it is. So I would talk to all these founders and they'd say, yeah, sounds great. Talk to my office manager. And then the office manager would be like, maybe next year. And, and so I was, how do you, how do you overcome that? How do you, how do you, how do you sell something to the very people who are paid to solve that problem themselves? It took a lot of work with our messaging. So, you know, we launched the business January, 2018 as its own company, a spinoff company. February, we did, uh, uh, we set up an affiliate program. We, um, we had done a launch party at a hotel that we invited everyone we knew to. Um, we launched on this website called Product Hunt for new tools. Uh, in March, we started experimenting with, with ads. I blasted everyone I knew on LinkedIn with individual emails and you know spammed everybody I'd ever met. And so in the beginning, it was just kind of you know trying to drum up conversations and get feedback. And that's what those first few months were about. It was understanding the objections and the sales process and the messaging that resonated with people. You know, we did demos. I did 25 demos a week and I would twist the verbiage on how I was explaining it every time and write down little, you know, star the the messages that made people say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or, you know, the, the, the questions that I would think of on the spot that, that got them really excited and, you know, what made someone sign up immediately versus telling me that they had to talk about it. So I, it was refining the sales process. So was there, did you find that now that Trainual was its own standalone, standalone product and you had done work, consulting work for clients in a variety of industries, did you find that once you double down on the product as a product that you should focus on certain industries in particular just so your messaging could be a little bit more tight? Or did you find that, no, I think there's still a pretty good broad appeal here. What, what route did you go when you launched that way? There was a broad appeal. So the companies that were signing up, we were surprised in the first few months, they were all different industries. You know, we had hotels, we had, uh, you know, restaurants and all hospitality, but we had, like I said, construction, we had electricians, we had car dealerships, we had, you know, B2B kind of, um, you know, marketing firms and, and, um, we had outsourcing companies, we had franchises, we had all these different businesses, real estate. So I didn't want to limit our, audience because I didn't feel that we were spending enough in marketing to really know who was our best target. You know, it, all those companies were signing up, so they were interested. And I, but I didn't have the data to know which companies would last, which would have the best results. And so I wanted our marketing to stay broad until we could figure out who had the best results. Do you, did you, do you find that certain industries are quicker to embrace changing processes however, than other industries because they are, they feel like their processes are, um, you know, unchangeable. Like the, the people may change, they may make tweaks, but overhauling and involving software is a different thing. Do you find that some are quicker to embrace? Smaller companies are quicker. So it's less about the industry, more about the company size. The number of people that might have an influence or have a, want to raise their hand and say, no, 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 no. That's going to affect me. I don't want to change any of these processes or what have you, right? Right. But the flip side of that is that the companies with more people, once they do decide, they stick around longer. So, yep. you know, it's a balance between making quick decisions, but being long lasting customers. Yeah. The life of a consultant, I feel like is comparable to the life of a freelancer in that you're working one client at a time with a specific outcome in mind. And whereas a consultant may be a strategic in their involvement and help um, drive direction, a freelancer may be hands-on and tactical and have specific deliverables that they have to provide that are uh, very practical and tangible and so forth. Mm -hmm. But um, what, what, how did your decision-making process as a founder of a software company now 
change how you evaluated your own business during the growth year during growth years we're we're 15 months in <laughs> how how did your how did your growth process change how did your management process change how did you evaluate your company now that it's a software company versus when it was a consulting group well, you know, our process, when I was a consultant, I, I say consultant, but don't think McKinsey or Bain or those kind of real strategic consultants. The the consulting I was doing was very tactical, you know, coming in, talking to people, figuring out the problem, and then helping them build their new CRM or a project management system or uh, helping, you know, set up new HR tools or helping just put interview processes in place or, you know, companies would identify that there would be a problem and I would help be the one getting the work done, creating the documents or creating the, the workflow that here's how we're going to do it. And here's the questions we're going to ask. And then I, I was interviewing employees for companies. I was I was designing websites. I was kind of doing anything and filling whatever the, the gap was. Um, so very much of a, a freelancer at the, in the early days until, until we had our own process and our own teams. Um, but I've always told people that, you know, our, our model is, is a term I came up with, which is do it, document it, delegate it. And so, you know, when you're a freelancer or an employee or anything, you're doing it, you're doing all the work, you're figuring out how to do it. You're trying to get consistent and efficient and use the same tools to make it easier on yourself to do it. And so hopefully you evolve from charging hourly to charging on a project basis where you're doing it is more profitable, you know, because if you're just charging hourly, then you can never get more profitable. <laughs> you just, you get less, you bring in less income, the better you get. So, so hopefully the doing it phase becomes as profitable as possible. But then if you ever want to grow and really own a business, then you have to delegate. And in order to delegate, you have to document, you have to write down the instructions of here's how I did it. Here's the result I expect. Here's the steps of how I did it so that you can replicate what I've done. And then you give those instructions to someone else, whether it's another freelancer or someone you hire on online or, or, or your first employee. And so, so that process of, you know, doing things consistently, documenting them clearly, and then delegating them confidently is what drove my business as I started to hire people and, and think about what I was doing. How about on the metric side? How did you decide how the company's health was outside of you see it growing? How did you decide what metrics you should uh, evaluate this company by given that you didn't have a software founder background? I'm obsessed with metrics. And the cool thing about a software company is we've got recurring revenue and subscriptions that are all on credit cards. So there's simple tools that we plug into that show us everything from you know our, our MRR, which is our monthly recurring revenue, and our ARR annually, our churn, which is the percentage of customers that cancel, our retention rate that factors in the revenue and the upgrades and the downgrades and, and things like that. Um, we've got our growth rate month over month that we're that we're managing to we've got our number of trials that of people that sign up we've got our trial to close conversion rate so we've got you know 10 or so metrics that we're looking at every day and every team meeting uh, once a week and and those are really guiding the business and did you have a mentor helping craft these did you how did you know where to start to, de to determine I, I feel like they're kind of common now if you live in the software world you know that these are the key metrics mm -hmm. but you came in from outside so how did you know that these are the metrics you need to track well, funny, I, I was even calculating lifetime value and cost of acquiring a customer in my consulting business. And so I got that through through mentors. Absolutely. Um, the entrepreneurship group I was a part of and the mentors I had over the years really uh, drilled that into me that I need to know what it costs me to find a customer and then what they pay over time so that I can figure out how much to spend to go out and get a customer. And so that knowledge translated really well into the software business when we started spending on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, and it was even easier to calculate that number. Yeah. So you, you're mentioning some of these social channels and you talked about content earlier. Over these 15 months, what's the angle you have found to work best for promoting a solution like this for selling a solution like this and making people aware of it. So by far the best thing for us is Facebook advertising with videos 
shot on iPhones. <laughs> so you'd think, are you kidding? No. So you'd think it would have to be a lot of, you know, a lot more polished or a lot more professional, but the videos that do the best for us are me walking around on the street saying, have you ever felt like this? I feel like this too. I, this happened when I ran my business. Here's what we did about it. You know, click here to learn more. And, you know, it, because it comes up in someone's feed and it doesn't look like an ad, it looks like, do I know this person? Is this one, is this one of my friends? And so they watch the video and then they're interested and they click through. And once you get them to your site, then they see the pixels on your site. So you can use retargeting so that then they're seeing your ads a lot more. And, and that's really all it's about. It's, you know, your, your initial cold advertising is, it should be not interrupting people. You know, you shouldn't, you, you don't you know, walk up to someone on the street and say, check out my billboard. You know, like you don't just, you don't like throw a magazine ad in front of someone. You might ask them a question or you try to get their attention by having a conversation or you point out you like their shoes or, you know, it's something to, to catch someone in a much more natural conversational way. And then once you, you, you see that they raise their hand or they answer the question and they're interested, they're in, in your, your market, then you get them to your site and then you start to have those other deeper conversations with them. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. I think that you see a lot of companies that are young feeling like they need to rush to show that they are big, secure, stable, established companies, especially software companies, so that they attract businesses, especially we're talking about software that is sold to businesses. You think that they feel like they need to look buttoned up and polished and I feel like you're saying it's exact opposite experience for you so far. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. And the early, you know, the early couple months, a lot of people would ask us, you know, how many customers do you have or are you going to shut down next month? You know, <laughs> and and I totally understand that. But um, so, so part of you wants to put on this facade and say we're this big company, but um, customers are just people and they identify more closely with other people than with some corporate brand that they've never heard of. So I think the more organic and natural you can be with your marketing and your messaging, the better off you'll do. It's, it's going to feel like to somebody who is listening to this, that it's been, boy, you just struck on a great idea. And sure enough, it took off like crazy. And 15 months later, here you are, you know, hitting uh, into the seven digits now in, in revenue and there's no looking back. I have to imagine it hasn't felt like that to you, even if it has felt like you, you, you're, you're on the right path. Surely you've had some speed bumps along the way, though. Yeah. Last year was the, the, the hardest year for sure of my life. I mean, you know, to, to kind of start from scratch with a team that you know you had to support and, you know, a wife and a f- two kids and, you know, all the responsibilities that come with that. Um, there was a lot of pressure to make this work and to make it work quickly. And so I was constantly challenging myself. You know, I, I'd say I listened to podcasts and you know, every day, um, read books all the time. I was reading articles all the time, constantly learning. I started meditating. I was journaling. I started running for the first time ever. And, um, you know, I think that there is a huge parallel between that and the business success, just taking time to get, um, out and, and, you know, do whatever, whatever you like to do for me, it was trail running here in in Arizona. Um, but that, that, freedom to get out and have mental space and to listen to a podcast and to every single day strategically think about the the actions we were taking in the business. I think over the last year, it was like 10 years of progress, you know, just by constantly focusing on that. And it's interesting. I think there's some people that would think that in those first 15 months, you need to be working 16 hour days. Uh, you need to be driving yourself to the brink <laughs> almost physically, emotionally, financially as well. And it sounds like you doubled down on your away time to ensure that you learn. It's almost like a sharpen the saw type of thing. It's it's as though you were trying to ensure that the time you spent working on Trainual was better because you spent time away from it sharpening yourself. Absolutely. You know, it- I also, so so I also made it, we haven't talked finances or anything, but I made a decision to self fund this and ended up going about $300,000 into credit card debt funding this. Mm -hmm. And 
to me, it was scary at first, but when I made the decision to do that and I knew how much money I had left, I, I had this runway and I thought I can use this time however I want. And I thought if I don't invest in myself to be balanced and to be a, a strong leader and, you know, to not burn down my family, <laughs> then, then who cares what the business does? And so I made a very conscious effort to, you know, I ran a, I, my first Spartan race and then I did a half marathon and then I did a triathlon and then I, and so training and forcing myself to those physical goals meant I had time that had to be out of the office running or riding bikes or something. And all of that time was filled with listening to podcasts and audiobooks and, and trying to learn more about what it meant to be a, a SaaS company. Do you feel like you're an exception? Uh, or, or different than the average person who aspires to own their own business or does own their own business? Do you feel like you look at things differently? I think I'm an exception only in that I actually do the hard work. <laughs> I think a lot of people, you know, say they want something, but, you know, then they snooze their alarm. And, and it, anyone can be this committed. It just takes making yourself do it, <laughs> you know, so... Well, I asked that because taking on $300,000 in debt um, is not everybody has the stomach. I think most people don't have the stomach for that. Mm -hmm. So what told you, ah, oh, that's the right call. It, 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 was it a no-brainer decision for you? Or was it one you wrestled with for weeks before you decided, I'm, I'm willing to keep doing this. I'm willing to keep adding this, these costs and so forth to my credit <laughs> card and taking it on personally, that kind of debt. Was it, was it that automatic, automatic for you? It, well, it wasn't all at once. It was a little bit at a time. You know, it was like I drew a line in the sand and then I kept erasing it and drawing a new line in the sand because the, the business was growing month over month. And I know how SaaS companies are valued. And we had investors left and right wanting to put money into the business. And they would tell me what valuation they were going to give me. And I would say, well... I'm just going to ride it out. I, why wouldn't I use every single dollar on my credit card and every every piece of uh, every debt vehicle I had to push this as high as possible so that uh, when the time comes that I run out of my own money, I'll get the best valuation. And so so that was the strategy I took. It's incredible. So you look ahead to the next 15 months, maybe the next 6 months, and what do you see for training? Well, what needs to change or how do you need to change how you use your time? with Trainual to now to get to the next level that you want to take it? Well, for the last year, it's been, you know, we've hired a lot of individual all-stars. So, you know, we've got a team of 15 now and we've hired a lot of people that are fantastic at different areas of the business. And so now I'm starting to lean on a couple of people as leaders to help manage their departments. And that's the big shift for us is going from managing people to managing departments. And so I think my my day-to-day -day isn't changing too much. It's just the people I'm working with is instead of everybody in the room at once, it's a handful of people and, you know, just changing how I allocate time a little bit. But I've had to be really specific about what I'm committing to and meetings I'm taking and coffees I'm getting with people. And that's a struggle because you want to meet everyone. And, you know, in the first few months of the business, you know, I, I would take any meeting, any phone call. I would, you know, anybody that wanted to talk to me and, and you have to cut back a little on that as your commitments to your own team grow. Yeah. This is, sounds like a little bit of deja vu. You're actually, not that you're extricating yourself like you were with EVC, but <laughs> it seems a little bit like you've come full circle in that the business has grown already to a point where you need to now trust a few key people to run sp specific departments and your job is to stay on top of things and work through them to see your vision. Yeah, exactly. I, maybe I'm overly confident and optimistic, but I think you have to be as a, as a leader and an entrepreneur. So I am, I'm not nervous about the challenges and the obstacles that are, that will come because there's been so many of them and I, you know, that's just part of the job. So it's hard to be nervous about anything specifically, but I'm excited about the things we're building. So the product is evolving a lot. We're, we're building new features to anticipate what customers want to document a little bit more and prompt them with ideas and build the manual for them a little bit. And that's fun because the the biggest challenge when you sit down to do this work is that you don't know what to write. <laughs> you know, you never done it before. And so the smarter our system gets, the more success our customers have. And that really gets me excited. So here's my final question. Years ago, your girlfriend conv convinces you to move 
uh, all the way out west to Phoenix to give up. To, to I think she knew she was ultimately getting you to give up that business, though you didn't do it at the time. All of these years later now that you are in Phoenix and you're running Trainual and it's up and running successfully, uh, a couple million in, in annual revenue, um, you, you look back and how does, how does she feel about the business? How does she feel about where your lives are today compared to when she challenged you to make that move? She's amazed. I mean, we're both amazed, but we, we always knew it would happen. I, you know, when we first started dating, I remember sitting down with her and we kind of planned out our life and just all the things we were going to do and the places we were going to go. And it was always assumed that I would work hard and have some kind of business success. And so every year we do a planning session together, which is my favorite day of the year. So her and I will go to uh, a local resort or something and and we get a babysitter for the kids and and uh, we just plan out our year we figure out all the vacations we're going to go on and all of our top 10 goals for the year and this whole process we go through to review our past year and and so every year when we sit down and we look back at the goals we set the the prior year it's amazing to check those off and see the progress that we've made and so I think I think we uh, you know we've invested a lot in our relationship and in you know weekly date nights and and our annual planning and I we do quarterly planning too so I treat my family very much like I treat my business and and keeping it on track watching our KPIs you know and that was the story of Chris Ronzio founder of Trainual coming up next week we've got the near celebrity of blogging writing and copywriting the one and only Sonia Simone co-founder and chief content officer of Copyblogger. Surely you know of that web resource. Big thanks to my co-producer Preston, founder of Millo and admin of the Millo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our incredible assistant Bilal for helping put this episode together. We're also proud members of the Podglomerate Network, which features other shows like Rocket Ship, Not Skinny But Not Fat, The History of Stand Up, Two Girls, One Podcast, and numerous other great ones. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch me at Brandon Hole on Twitter if you like, and feel free to drop your rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.